0: Welcome to the Moose Room everybody. OG3 here and we have a guest this week. Amber Roberts is with us and she is the Agribusiness Management Extension Educator for the University of Minnesota Extension. She's also the co-lead for the Women in Ag Network. So we're excited to have her here today. She's joining us all the way from Idaho today. How are you doing, Amber?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me, Joe.
0: The place to start is the two questions we ask. I was gonna every say, we guest. have to start
1: with the questions, and can I just say we've really been knocking it out of the park with guests recently, and and Amber's just like the cherry on top of that. Like we're we're excited to have you on here.
0: Oh yeah, we're but. we're we're not we're we're just tooting our own horn. We're doing great. We're doing great. Yeah,
1: yeah, not to toot, toot. our own horn, but toot toot. So. Exactly.
0: Okay, <laughs> two questions we ask every guest. They are very important. Bradley will tell you they have a right answer. First one we're going to start with is your favorite beef breed.
2: I am originally from Montana, and I grew up around Black Angus. Black Angus, because in Montana, we have Black Angus cows, and then if you want to diversify just a little bit, you might have some Red Angus
1: too.
0: Perfect. Oh, gosh. I
1: just heard Bradley's heartbreaking. Oh,
0: all right, well that brings the total for everyone counting at home to Hereford's at six, Black Angus at four, Kianina at one, Brahmin at one, Stabilizer at one, and Black Baldy at one.
1: So Hereford still have a bit of a, a stranglehold on it.
0: It is it is surprising, but they are out in front. Um, we'll just uh, we're catching up. The Black Angus they're coming back. Joe
1: Joe Don't needs to have more friends on because it's usually guests that you invite that say Black Angus
0: so it's true true. i I, had a feeling that this one might go my way so (laughs) all right same question but we're talking dairy favorite dairy breed
2: hands down holstein okay okay
0: sad sad
1: classic holstein yeah joe and brad are both um team jersey and i i said um dutch belted which is really more of a heritage breed but i would also say holstein because like dutch belted like like you said amber like just tried and true classic black and white timeless can't go wrong
0: it's fine it's fine whatever okay so uh joey is bitter
1: i'm just gonna tell all of our listeners
0: i i'm trying to be bitter so bradley doesn't have to be today that's the idea right so
1: oh that's really nice of you
0: okay so uh that puts the count at holstein at five leading the pack, Brown-Swiss at four, Jersey at three, Dutch-Belted at two, Normandy at one, and Montbelliard at one. Important questions out of the way. Amber, I think we need to start with your mouthful of a title and your job right now. What what do you do? That's a, That's the yeah. first question.
2: That's a great question. So as part of our agricultural business management team, what we do across the state of Minnesota is talk with folks about things related to managing their farm and finances. So in my role in particular, I help put on our farm transition workshops. And then within the Women in Ag network, our goal there is to connect women, give them an opportunity to network, and also provide them with educational content that can help benefit them uh, either if they're in farming or if they're in agribusiness. And we do that in a couple of different ways. Our next big upcoming project is February 3rd. We'll be hosting the sixth annual Women in Ag Conference. So our first time doing it virtually, but we're excited because this means we can bring even more women from all over the state of Minnesota together uh, to really focus on building bridges and cultivating connections. So bringing people and women together during this really unprecedented time where we don't get as much face-to-face with other female farmers, um, and giving them an opportunity to learn from some really incredible speakers and also get to spend time with each other.
0: That's perfect. Uh, and we're definitely gonna get into more uh, women in ag. And, and that's what the main focus of today is gonna be is talking about that that project and then, and then also talking about some of the work you've done with a needs assessment. But I do wanna touch on all the other things that you do. You know, uh, the farm transition is a huge topic To me in practice, I saw, for me in practice, there was a constant struggle uh, between generations that I saw. And that was really alleviated when people had a plan. Uh, And I came to know that having that plan uh, was pretty rare. Is that still something that's that's an issue?
2: Absolutely. So when it comes to farm transition in the next 20 years, We're going to see 70% of our farmland change hands, which means we have a big job to make sure that the retiring generation is ready and has a plan on how they want to transition that farmland. And also making sure that we're equipping that incoming farmer, that next generation, with the tools that they need to be successful stepping into that role. And creating a transition plan is so important, but often gets put off. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why it can be uncomfortable to talk about transition planning. A lot of those have to do with, you know, we don't want to face our own mortality. We don't want to think from the younger generation about mom and dad not being on the farm, but having a plan is the key to success. And unfortunately, myself and my predecessors have been hosting these webinars, or excuse me, these workshops across the state of Minnesota for 19 years now. And six months later, we survey those folks that come out and spend six hours with us to get farm transition education. And six months later, over 85% of them still don't have a plan put into place. And nationwide, when it comes to completed plans, less than 3% of farmers have a completed farm transition plan. Um, So really something that's important, but also a topic that a lot of farmers put off. It's hard when you're doing The everyday things that need to happen on the farm, little emergencies pop up all of the time, and it can be easy to put off that transition planning, um, but really critical if you want to ensure that your farm will continue on to the next generation. I mean, if we're talking passing it down from first generation to second generation, only about 30% or a third of farms successfully transition to that second generation. Then when we go from the second to the third, that number goes down to 14% and when we go beyond that third generation less than 3% of family farms are able to successfully keep it in the family and running financially after that third
1: generation wow those are some kind of crazy numbers like i i know that there's a lot of farms that don't have transition plans right but i didn't realize it was that few and you know i know in my work in farm stress and all of that. That is something that, you know, we cite as one of the most common and yet unique stressors in farming is that transition plan, because it is something that's business related. There's emotional ties to it. Like you said, Amber, facing our own mortality. And sometimes people just don't want to give up control or, you know, then they feel useless. And it, yeah, you know, and I've worked with farms that have gone through the process and done so successfully, and you know they all say it it was so worth the work, and I think that's another reason people don't do it is you know these plans take years to get fully finalized and put together, and even then they're you know they could change just based on what's happening in the world and what happens with other family members and things
0: yeah, and i I see what i've I've found is that often the farms know more than they think they know about how they wanna do things and how how that should work. It's just never written down anywhere. And there's often miscommunication uh, about expectations or, or different things that will happen between the generations. And even just having the conversation at first, at first, the first step is just talking about it out loud and making sure everyone's on the same page that way. But again, yeah, writing it down and getting everything, figured out and getting all the the financials of it figured out and 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 smoothed out over a long period of time that's it's a long time to do but incredibly important and you said control and that's I think probably the biggest factor for me is seeing that uh giving up control to to the next generation is is really tough to do especially when it's not established what your role is going to be on farm still and and how you're still going to be involved because I think that's at least when I've talked to farmers, the biggest scare for that older generation is they're gonna become irrelevant and not needed anymore. When when in fact, they're probably needed more than ever uh, as that new generation takes over.
2: The other thing I'd add to that is there are so many decisions that have to be made when it comes to a transition plan that it can be or seem extremely overwhelming, but just starting with those initial conversations. And like you said, Joe, you know what you want to happen for your farm. You can rely on your attorney, on if you hire a lawyer to help you craft those legal documents that you'll eventually need, but what can help you get so much further in this process is knowing here are our goals, here's what we want as a family to happen for our transition plan, and then relying on that team of experts that you have um, to help figure out some of those more complicated business structure issues, tax issues, financial issues, but just taking that first step of getting down in writing. These are our goals. This is what we want to happen for our farms transition can help to ensure that you're part of that small percentage that is successful in transitioning to the next generation.
0: All right. I think we're going to quit talking about farm transition there. Uh, That's a whole nother episode. Oh yeah. We probably will have to have a, a bunch of episodes on that. It might even be a series, but it's important. You should talk to whoever you can about it to get started um, and, and make sure, yes, it's not just floating out there somewhere where everyone's mm-hmm. talked about it. It should be written down and everyone should figure it out. All right, let's move on to the Women in Ag Network. Super important program. Uh, important to point out that Emily is one of the OG yes. people that started Women in Ag Network. So Emily, Briefly, before Amber jumps in and tells us what's going on now, tell us the the brief brief uh, story of how how we got going.
1: Emphasis on brief. Um, I will say this: the when we first sat down, myself and and our former colleagues, Buddy Burning and Pauline Van Nerden, to I remember we went out to lunch, and literally it was a sketched out on the back of the napkin type thing that program and what the Women in Ag Network is today, vastly different. And, you know, it's one of those things that it's, it's kind of cool that this program is so much bigger and better than we ever originally imagined it could be. Uh, so when we first started, we were just really looking at, you know, how do we create some sort of social gathering for, for farm women, for female farmers, that they can get education and network with each other, And it started as we're going to have this course that's, you know, held for eight weeks, and then it will also include dinners. And I, yeah, so what we started with and what it is are very, very different. And it's just so exciting to see where this program has gone and continues to go, you know, kind of charting new territory in this space.
0: Amber, what, tell me how it's the same and different now as we move into almost, uh, or this might even come out in 2021?
2: So a lot of what Emily, Betty and Pauline started is still there. The Women in Ag Network is still heavily focused on bringing women together for that networking aspect. And that's so essential to give our female farmers, our women who work in agribusiness, the chance to connect with each other which is why we keep the word network in the title um, of our group of women. The other portion that's still the same is we still provide educational content that's research-based to women, but how we do it looks a little different than what the program originally started with. We primarily do it through a Facebook page that we run, newsletters. Every single year, we host an annual conference, and then we do a summer farm tour that women can attend. 2020, it looked a little different. We did it virtually, um, but hopefully in the future, we will be able to go back to in-person farm tours.
0: So tell me how Annie's Project fits into all of this.
2: Annie's Project is one of our partners. We have several Annie's Projects that will be hosted across the state of Minnesota this year, including one that will be a virtual one Hour, Annie's Inspired in St. Cloud. And Annie's project is really focused on creating a small cohort of local women and providing them with the five foundations of risk management education. And they do that for three hours a week over 16 weeks.
0: I I've Six been
2: weeks, in... over six weeks, not 16.
0: Uh, that would be a long time. I've been involved with with Annie's project. I I really enjoy it. I have a great time every time I present there. It's really fun to be in a room where it's a small group and everyone's super engaged. And it's really fun because a lot of the the cohort knows each other. So it's really fun to really get into details talking about specific farms because a lot uh, of the uh, participants have been on each other's farms. And that's really, really, really fun to do in that small group setting we we've heard how women in ag network got started. We've heard what it's doing now, what's upcoming for this year conference in February, February 3rd, we'll have the link here in the show notes. So you can get to that, uh, that link and the women in ag network page. The big thing that I wanna touch on is this needs assessment survey that Amber did. I've heard very brief snippets about it. So Amber take it away and tell me how it got started, why why you saw a need for it and then, uh, we'll we'll get into the results.
2: Great. So why we decided to do a needs assessment was the Women in Ag Network was established over five years ago. And in that time, we haven't taken the time to assess, you know, what are some of the current issues that women in agriculture in Minnesota are facing? And what do they want to know more about? So it just seemed like the right time to reach out to women across the state of Minnesota and to ask them what their needs are, what do they want to learn more about, um, and what role does the Women in Ag Network currently play in helping to provide education and networking opportunities, and what role would they like to see us play in the future?
0: Tell us about the results and and get into the nitty gritty of uh, the surprising things that you found.
2: Sure, so we'll do a highlights reel of what the results of our needs assessment was. In total, we ran the needs assessment through our Facebook page for over a month and a half. We had 80 women from across the state of Minnesota fill out the needs assessment. And some of the questions that we asked them that were really telling was we gave them a list of 20 proficiency areas. This included everything from knowledge of how to access loans and grants, direct marketing knowledge, estate planning, keeping up with legislation, managing farm finances. And what we found is out of this list of 20 proficiencies, when we asked women to rank themselves as either low, moderate, or high proficiency, the group as a whole on average did not rank themselves as moderately proficient in any of these categories. They ranked themselves between low and moderate, which was surprising because on average, this group of women that we surveyed had over 14 years of experience in agriculture. Now, when we began to narrow it down to smaller and smaller groups, so when we looked at just farmers, we then started to see some areas where they would rank themselves as moderately, but for our women who were under the age of 50, there were only two proficiencies for those groups, for female farmers that they said, we are moderately proficient And it was in only two of those 20 categories and they were family communication and managing personal finances then when we looked at that older group it took us we had to narrow it down all the way to female farmers between the ages of 51 and 60 to even get more than two categories that they on average consider themselves moderately proficient in and what this tells us this is a highly educated group of women who have been working in agriculture for a very long time, and more than likely, they aren't actually between low and moderately proficient. But we find that they're ranking themselves, self-ranking, as lowly or as low proficiency or as moderate proficiency.
0: That's kind of the snippet that I heard was the this fact that these this group of highly skilled women who are are clearly probably moderate to high proficiency in almost all of these categories are ranking themselves a lot lower. So huge question. I can't speak to it, uh, but for you and Emily, tell me why.
1: <laughs> you sure you want to do that?
0: Joe? I, I want to get into this because <laughs> I find it very well, I find it surprising uh, the lack of confidence, especially given my experience with very, very highly skilled, proficient, female farmers?
1: Well, I think, you know, and the thing that really jumped out at me about what Amber just said was how for that group of under 50, you know, the top two were communication and personal finance. The two things that I would say many people associate with the traditional concept of, says my least favorite phrase of all time, the farm wife. You know, you're not married to a farm. But anyways, so um, I would say that I think a lot of that is just heavily steeped in tradition. You know, we need to face the facts. And there have been times in, in our history where men and different are men and different men and women are viewed differently. And I think that for a lot of women, we are still trying to find that confidence and still trying to find our place and learning how to establish credibility. And that's why, well, that is something that I said to you guys, you know, kind of off air before is you know more than you think, but you don't know it all. But really that know more than you think, that's something that I say to a lot of people. And I know of just within extension, I've worked with other female colleagues and they'll go, well, I, I can't really speak on this topic. Well, I don't really know that much. And and I'm the first one to just tell them, nope, that's too bad. Like you're speaking I, like, you don't get an option. Right. And they always knock it out of the park. And so I think it's really important to see that it's, yes, we are just going to downplay ourselves. That it has a lot to do with you know how we were raised in the societies that we live in and the structures that we grew up with and agriculture especially is is very traditional and is one of those occupations where there is such strong family ties that i think you see it and it's a little bit more prevalent and that yeah it was always well you know the the wife had to take care of the kids and make all the meals and and she probably helped on the farm like i think of my own mom you know she was raising five kids, uh, but she she still went out and and fed the cows and and would help with milking all of that and so this yeah sorry, this is kind of a diatribe here, but to me that's what I think of, and also you know it's like I said when I have colleagues that don't have that confidence in them i I you got to kind of lift people up and you got to give them those opportunities. And I think that it's something that both men and women can be doing is making sure we're going, hey, you know, let's bring you up. Let's make sure that you aren't just taking the back seat. You know, I I personally am a go-getter, um, you know, assertive, very much an achiever type. And so I have no problem, you know, being like stepping up to the plate and doing it. But I recognize not everyone is like that. And so we need to make sure that people that have that as a strength are helping bring other people along with them.
0: Amber, what, what's your take?
1: I would
2: agree with a lot of what Emily said, and I'd add to it too. And part of it is who do we define as a farmer? And that has historically been an issue and is starting to be addressed and plays into this um, confidence factor. And what I mean by that is I worked for a dairy co-op for a little while And we saw this play out in who would attend our annual convention dinner. We would have a hundred farmers and a hundred plus ones. And who were those hundred plus ones? Well, most of the time it was the farmer's spouse. And for the majority of those spouses, they worked on farm full-time with their husbands or they would work um, on the farm and be involved in the farm some way. So when we begin to shift our language, And instead of saying, and only leaving room for a farmer has to fit this specific description, we can change it from 100 farmers and 100 plus ones to 200 farmers are coming to our annual convention dinner. The other thing I wanna say that we've seen a shift in, in 2012, in the census of agriculture, we had a much narrower definition of who the primary farmer was. In 2017, we saw this huge increase in the number of female farmers. Now we didn't magically get a whole very large increase in the number of female farmers in Minnesota. Instead, what had happened is we had broadened our definition of who a farmer was. And we had now allowed for females on the farm to also be considered primary and principal operators. So we said, you no longer have to select one, you can say that you have two principal operators on your farm. And by doing this, we saw a 65% increase in the number of women listed as a primary producer in Minnesota in five years, a 65% increase. And so I think that this also plays into the issue is that historically women haven't been considered on paper in their co-ops, in general, part of that primary farmer, that decision maker, um, someone who's influential on the farm and by shifting those definitions to be inclusive and to say, yes, you can have two principal decision makers on your farm, uh, it opens up this opportunity for women to begin to feel more confident.
0: Okay, so that's a long answer as to why confidence isn't as high as it, as it should be.
1: You should have known you were going to get an earful, Joe. Yeah,
0: and I wanted it. I, it's really important <laughs> to talk about. And and, it, and again, the the whole thing is was very surprising to me given my personal experience with female operators in the agricultural community. I have several that are jumping out to me right now. Yeah, I I couldn't ever imagine them saying they weren't proficient at all of those things you listed because of what I've seen them do and accomplish. Shout out Christine Rude if you're listening, one of my favorite clients, uh, one of the hardest working clients I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I just it, it it makes me, it makes me sad that that there isn't uh, more confidence in in obvious skills. And sometimes we think that we only see this in the United States, but for those of you that are, it's interesting that you see the same phenomenon in other parts of the world as well. It's not just this is happening in the U.S. You know, I've I've seen it in France, actually, and in, uh, in France more. Uh, uh, and, and Sweden, when I've been to, there's a lot of women that have helped out on the dairy farm in Sweden that are actually making the decisions, you know, and I've been to some of those farms and, and they are the, the major player on the farm uh, and are doing a lot of the work and running of the business. So I, I think that's important to note too, that it's, it's, not just, we're, it's not just a U.S. thing. It's not just a U.S. thing. Sometimes we get close-minded and think that it's only happening in the U.S. and stuff, and and it is other places around the world as well. Yeah, definitely not a, just an issue here. We've kind of gone over why it's like it is now, and we kind of briefly got into the next step, right, which is what do we do about it? I'm interested, you know, not just, you know, Emily kind of told us, you know, it's men and women who are willing to put themselves out there, have the confidence bringing everybody with them. But... What else can we do? Uh, what What else is there to do besides the kind of the things that you guys have already described?
1: My biggest thing would be if you are somebody who works in industry, a sales rep or something, if you happen upon a woman on the farm, don't ask where the decision maker is or where the husband is or where their dad is. Don't do that. Please please don't do that. So that's a a little thing, but a subtle way. And I think ties into just this bigger part of, you know, don't make assumptions and don't. And then when a female says, yeah, I am the farmer here. Don't go, oh, wow. Like it, it shouldn't be an anomaly. And I know just as as being a woman in agriculture and, and starting in agriculture, fresh out of college, 22 years old and people walking into the office back when I was in the county. And, you know, they go, well, the, the last time I was here, I talked to a guy or, well, where's the gentleman who was here last time? And I just go, I replaced him. What can I help you with? <laughs> so, you know, it's. But it's don't don't make assumptions. And it's just realizing that we are all capable and credible. And it's yeah, like I already said, kind of taking each other along for the ride, lifting each other up and creating those opportunities. And, you know, you, you don't know what a person's capable of or what they're passionate about until you really talk to them. And, to me, it's like there's there's no difference there. You know, if you're somebody who loves agriculture and loves what you do and works hard, it doesn't matter. It, you can be a man or a woman, an alien. I don't care. Boy, you really got me fired up here. I'm trying to hold myself back.
0: I know. I So I've always been amazed that people can can say those kind of things and put their foot way into their mouth, like way into the mouth. And they're not embarrassed by it. They're not doesn't do it. It doesn't like move them at all. And, and, and that, yeah, that it's, it, it's, it's just amazing to me that they, they, that you could put your foot in your mouth that hard and not feel anything about it and not change anything about your own actions. Maybe it, some people do, but it doesn't seem to affect people that that much like it should. Okay. Amber, what else can we do?
2: So I think one of the other things that we should talk about here, that we found in our needs assessment that's important to point out is we also asked our female respondents to rank a set of issues, different farm issues that might affect them. And number one, finance, cash flow issues, no surprise there. Number two, 41% of women ranked not being taken as seriously as men as a considerable or very considerable issue. So this was the number two issue that women in our survey ranked uh, was women not being taken as seriously. And that can play into this confidence factor. So, what can we do when it comes to encouraging our fellow female farmers, our fellow women who are in agriculture? I think from the farmer's stance, not if you're going to an event that you think could be beneficial to them too and you know a female farmer, invite them to come. I don't see nearly as many female farmers when I do land rent meetings or transition meetings as I would like to see. So invite them to come and create that inviting space. The other thing I would say that is important to think about is representation matters. So when we're thinking about the programming that we're creating, are we creating a space that women feel like they can come to? and even thinking about the images that we're projecting, the words that we're using are important. From 2017 to 2018, a study at a Utah State University looked at uh, the USDA and some of their social media feeds to see in those pictures that they were posting, were there females involved? What role did they play in those photos? Were they the primary focus? Were they secondary? And then were they actively portrayed as somebody who's a farmer or somebody who is an ag professional. And what they found is 40% of those photos from 2017 to 2018, so this is a very uh, recent issue, 40% were male only. And then of those photos that included females, males were four times more likely to be playing an active role. So the person that's doing something in the photo and 60% 60% of those photos had males as the primary spot of focus. So even though we might not think about it, representation, the images that we're putting out, those matter as well.
0: Okay. I am going to ask you as a question. I don't know if we will include it because it, it's something that Emily said earlier. She said the, the term farm wife is, is not, uh, not a term she, she appreciates. I see that kind of terminology on social media all the time. And there are accounts that are held by women in agriculture. And that's how they identify on their account. Is that a problem?
1: I will say this. I said, I personally don't like that phrase or that term. And I know several other women who don't as well. And I know that some people embrace it. They embrace that role as farm wife. And in my mind, that's fine. But we need to be cognizant that there are people who, you know, like and dislike certain things. So can we can we use other phrasing, other terminology, Um, you know, that? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's bad or it's something like this is wrong. It's just for me personally. I don't like it. I don't use it. I don't say it. Um, I wouldn't want somebody to say it to me. Yeah, I don't know
0: okay I, I i was just curious because that's something i see a lot is maybe not that those that exact terminology but something very similar and i see it all the time on social media as the title of the account uh and that yeah it's it, it was surprising to me yeah and especially when you start looking at a profile or an account and they're a farmer it's like they're, they're just a farmer and but they're identifying as the farmer's wife
2: So going through my agricultural program in college, many of my other peers who were females would say, I just want to be a ranch wife. I heard that a lot. And I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with it. But when you would ask them, why do you want to be a ranch wife? Oh, I love cattle. I love calving. I love doing X, Y, and Z. And inherently what they were describing was not the wife portion of it, but they wanted to be a rancher. Um, And so I think if you find power in the term ranch wife, farm wife, that's great. But a lot of what they're doing there is that they actually love the agricultural lifestyle. Um, And that's just the term that they've given to it to justify. And some of that might be because if you don't have a ranch to go back to, the easiest way to get one is to marry into a family that does have a ranch or that does have a farm that you can operate. Um, but I think the question there is you know, they're providing, it's a term that they find um, to describe themselves, which is great. Not everybody likes to use that terminology, but w- what makes you passionate about being a farm wife or a ranch wife? Is it the wife portion? Is it your wonderful relationship? Or is there also something there that has to do with making decisions on the farm, being around animals, producing and growing food?
0: Well, i think that's that's good to know that for some it might be an empowering term and for some it might be uh, kind of a trigger like for emily so that's uh, good to know i it's not something that i i knew and i'm glad i know it now it'll help me Amber being... put
1: it much more eloquently than i
0: did well that's why we invited I her today i
1: know so. what you're
2: talking <laughs> about though emily because i heard it in my graduating class we had 37 people in undergrad and I believe four of us were females, and three, not including myself, wanted to be ranch wives. Direct quotes, so I hear it a lot.
0: Okay, where are we going next? Uh, I, that's kind of what I had.
1: I, I feel like we could wrap it.
0: Well, thank you, Amber, for being on today. We really appreciate it. Uh, I think we're, we're out of time and uh, lots to think about. I'm glad we had you today to talk about this, and sorry to all the listeners it got a little serious, but uh, it's something everyone needed to hear. Maybe we'll have you back to talk about farm transition.
2: Yes, please do. Thanks for having me.
0: You guys know the drill. Scathing rebuttals, comments, questions, they go to the room at umn.edu.
1: That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu.
0: Please check out our website, extension.umn.edu. And if you want more information about the Women in Ag Network, you can go to z.umn.edu slash w-a-g-n. Check us out on Facebook at UMN Beef and at UMN Dairy. We are also on Twitter now, just created an account for The Moose Room. The Moose Room is on Twitter at UMN Moose Room.
1: And while you're at it, you can also follow at UMN Farm Safety.
0: Perfect. All right. That's all we had for today. Thank you, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. What do I need to wrap again? I'm three pages in on my notebook. Okay, so z.umn.edu slash W-A-G-N, right? Okay.
1: I can spell that for you. (laughs) (laughs) The hell you can.
0: (laughs) Bradley has trouble spelling on the podcast. Oh, my God.